Hello, this is Gary Hutchins with the Sunny Slope Church of Christ in Omaha, Nebraska. Welcome to our Sunday morning Bible class. We're podcasting a Bible study posted every Sunday morning at 930, which is the time for our regular congregation, the Sunny Slope Church of Christ, to meet together for Sunday morning Bible classes at the building. Our church building is located at 3606 North 108th Street, 3606 North 108th Street, right here in Omaha. And if you're in the Omaha area, we encourage you to come and be with us. You're welcome to any and all of our services. And Sunday morning Bible class begins at 9.30 every Sunday morning, followed by worship at 10.30. Six o'clock Sunday evening, we come back together for another period of of uh, worship and Bible study. And then on Wednesday evenings at 6.30, we come back together for midweek Bible classes. Good time to get our spiritual batteries recharged in the middle of the week and get ready to take on the rest of the week. Well, we encourage you also to share these studies with everybody you can through Facebook friends, text messages, other technological means, with family members, friends, work associates, neighbors, with literally everybody you can. You may help somebody get into God's Word and grow in their faith. You may help somebody get to heaven by getting them into God's Word through these studies that you share with them through Facebook friends, text messages, and other technological means. Well, also, we encourage you to tell everybody you can to go to our website at churchofchrist.com, churchofchrist.com, and click on the podcast button and sign up for our podcast it's free. It always will be free. We're not after people's wallets. We want to help as many people as we can get to heaven. And when somebody signs up for our podcasting, they will automatically receive our Sunday morning Bible class, our Wednesday night Bible class, and all of our sermons. And they will receive a Monday through Friday daily radio program called Search the Scriptures. And they will receive a seven-day-a-week short Bible study that we call today's Bible class. Now, that's only about 13 minutes each day, but it keeps us in God's Word every day. And that, again, is important for our faith to to develop and to stay strong and grow stronger because faith comes by hearing the Word of God, Romans 10 and verse 17. So, again, all of that is free and always will be free. So tell everybody you can and take advantage of it yourself. Churchofchrist.com. We're going to get back into our study from the book of Joshua. Joshua is that book that takes us through the crossing of the Jordan River by the people of Israel, the Israelites, that have become a huge population of people by this time, having grown for 400 years in Egypt into a mighty population, as I've said many times probably somewhere between one and three million people strong, at least. And they have been going through the wilderness. Now, many of the, well, in fact, the adult generations died off in the wilderness, but the children grew up, and they're the new adult generations, and undoubtedly many of them have had their own children. So we're still probably talking about somewhere in that range of one to three million, or maybe even a little more than that. Now, they've crossed the Jordan River, the eastern bank of the Promised Land, the land of Canaan, and they have begun the conquests. Joshua is their leader now. Moses died on the other side of the river. And so Joshua was chosen by God and appointed by Moses to be the, leading, the leader of the people as they crossed into the Promised Land and began the conquests. Now, 
So this land would become the geographic nation of Israel. When they crossed the river, the the first battle that they were to fight was against the city of Jericho. We read about that and how God told them what to do, how to do it, when to do it, how often to do it. And then God caused the walls of the city of Jericho to collapse. And then the the Israelite warriors went in and destroyed the city. God instructed the people, and Moses, while Moses was giving them the law and giving them the instructions, and the book of Deuteronomy is kind of a a recapitulation, if you would. Moses is going back summarizing their history, and so in, in that particular book, but not just there, before then too, but in that particular book, Deuteronomy, a number of times, Moses emphasizes that God's instruction is... When you enter that promised land that he promised to you going all the way back to your forefather Abraham and renewed that promise on and on through the different blood uh, through the different descendants of Abraham he, he said God has instructed you do not have anything to do with the people of that land because they're idol worshipers they don't believe in God they don't they don't worship God they worship statues and images And statues and images are nothing but statues and images. So you either destroy them in battle or else you drive them out of the land, but do not have relationships with them and particularly do not intermarry with them. Well, then we came to Joshua chapter 10. And so the people have stayed faithful and true to God's instruction along that line. So when they when they defeated Jericho, they destroyed the city. When they defeated the, little, the smaller city of Ai, they destroyed the city. And then there was a people who came to them, and in chapter 9 of Joshua, we read about the Gibeonites, who were actually part of the peoples of the land of Canaan. And there, there were a number of different, uh, we would call them probably ethnic groups or nationalities, but they all lived within the land of Canaan as small as that land was geographically, different peoples in different parts of that land. The Gibeonites were one of those. But they they heard about the might of Israel's God in giving them victory after victory in battle. They heard about the peoples, the armies, the mighty armies that, that that they defeated and destroyed. And so they did not want to have to do battle against the Israelites themselves, but at the same time, they didn't want to have to leave their land. So they disguised themselves, some some ambassadors, they disguised themselves. They put on old, worn-out garments. They, they put old, worn-out shoes or sandals on their feet. They they took old wineskins that were that were old and had to be repaired, sewn back together, and 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 they gave that appearance. They they brought bread with them that was old and moldy, and they wanted to give the appearance to Joshua and the men of Israel that they had come from a far away land. Now somebody might say, well, well, surely. The Israelites knew what peoples were living in the land of Canaan. Uh, they hadn't been there. They hadn't been there. 
They'd been in Egypt for 400 years. Then they'd been in the wilderness for another 40 years. Now, they had sent 10 spies into the land, or 12 spies, going back to when Moses first led them out of Egypt. But again, that was 40 years ago. And, those, and 10 of those spies came back, and they gave a bad report. So we don't see where, you know, necessarily they would have known of the different groups of peoples within that land as they crossed over this time under the leadership of Joshua. So these Gibeonites, they come, and they have disguised themselves, basically. <clears throat> A technical term, we'd say it's subterfuge. They, they have, they, they're trying to deceive Joshua and the men of Israel into thinking that they came from a faraway land and that their clothes wore out on the way, their food got old and moldy on the way, their, their shoe attire wore, not, wore out on the way. And, and so they came and, and said, we want to make a treaty with you. We want to make a covenant with you. We are your servants. We will serve you. Just, you know, accept us in that kind of a relationship. And so Joshua and the men of Israel were deceived into believing them. And they made that covenant in the name of the Lord. Well, then they found out the truth of the matter, that they were dwellers within the very land that God told them to not have anything to do with the people of that land. And here they had just made a covenant in the name of the Lord with this group of people, the Gibeonites, within that land. Well, again, you, you know, you can start to use some logical and kind of analytical reasoning and say, okay, well, they were deceived. Those people lied to them. They should not have been bound by that covenant agreement that they made with them they had the right to go ahead and defeat them and run them out of the land or destroy them under God's orders and, and instructions. But they took seriously that they had made this covenant in the name of the Lord. So they allowed the Gibeonites to stay within the land of Canaan. But they told them, you are our servants. You're going to serve us. But they probably, I mean, I, I would think from from my line of reasoning, I would think you're not bound under that, by that covenant because they, they got you to make it with them through false means. They lied. They deceived. And, but they, they thought since we made it in the name of the Lord, we must abide by it. So this was an action on their part, a decision on the part of Joshua and the men of Israel that was going against God's instructions. Now, we can debate back and forth as to whether God would have said, yeah, you did the right thing because you made this covenant in my name. You've got to honor it now. Or whether he would have said, look, they lied to you. You're not bound by that covenant. You thought you were doing the right thing but they were lying to you in deceiving you into making that covenant. So it's not valid. Well, again, that would be a debate going back and forth, you know, and, and we're just left wondering what would have been the right thing. But they left these people there in the land, and that was going to be ultimately 
I think we can conclude, a potential problem because God had said those people, if you start entering into relationships with them, they're going to be a source of temptation to lead you away from me and into the practice of worshiping their statues and images, which are nothing. But that's going to lead you away from me. You're not any longer, you know, if you start worshiping those, you're not going to be true to me. Well, but that was the summation of the matter. Now, we're going to pick up with chapter 10. And, and this is interesting, very interesting. We see the mighty, all-powerful hand of God once again in action in this particular battle. Beginning with verse 1, chapter 10 of Joshua. Now, it came to pass when Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, now, that's not the Jerusalem that we normally think of as where David made that the capital of the nation of Israel, and it became the place where the temple was built and so on. We're talking, that's hundreds of years down the road. This is while it was part of the land of Canaan. And so Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, heard how Joshua had taken Ai and had utterly destroyed it, as he had done to Jericho and its king. So he had done to Ai and its king, and now the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel and were among them. Well, that they feared greatly because Gibeon was a great city, like one of the royal cities, and because it was greater than Ai and all its men were mighty. Well, it's interesting that apparently from this description, from the perspective of the king of Jerusalem, the Gibeonites were pretty mighty people. They had a big city. Their men were mighty men. I think we're to understand of of war or in battle. (laughs) And yet, they recognized the power of God, Israel's God, the only true God, and they recognized the power of God working through the army of Israel, and so they did not want to have anything to do with having to go into battle against Israel, so they made a peace treaty with them, a covenant with them. Again, by deception, but they were able to you know, eliminate themselves from any potential battle. So verse 3, Therefore Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, sent to Hoham, king of Hebron, Piram, king of Jarmuth, Japhia, king of Lachish, and Deborah, king of Eglon, saying, now these all would have been, I think probably we're to understand like city-states, or kind of mini city nations within the land of Canaan. So all these different kings of all these different peoples. And so he said, come up to me and help me that we may attack Gibeon for it has made peace with Joshua and with the children of Israel. Well, attack Gibeon. Gibeon was part of the land of Canaan, but the Gibeonites had made this covenant with Israel. And so the king of Jerusalem, he tries to join an alliance or get an alliance put together with all these different kings of different city-states within the land of Canaan. He says, hey, let's attack Gibeon. Uh, I would think they probably should have focused more <laughs> on the army of Israel, but uh, and Gibeon would have been you know, kind of a distraction for them, but they, they wanted to attack Gibeon. You know, take them out of the picture 
punish them for making that treaty with the Israelites, with Joshua. And so he says, you know, come to me and, and help me. Let us, let's attack Gibeon. Verse 5, therefore the five kings of the Amorites, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, and the king of Eglon, so all of these were Amorite little cities, I say little, I mean they were city-states basically, gathered together and went up and all they and all their armies and camped before Gibeon and made war against it. And the men of Gibeon sent to Joshua at the camp of Gilgal saying, Do not forsake your servants. Come up to us quickly. Save us and help us. For all the kings of the Amorites who dwell in the mountains have gathered together against us. Again, what is a consequence of Israel making that covenant? Joshua and the men of Israel making that covenant with the Gibeonites? Well, now the Gibeonites are under attack. And so now... They're calling for Joshua to bring his army to help them fight these kings, fight off these kings of the Amorites. Now, from one perspective, we might think, well, okay, that did bring all of these armies, these Amorite armies, together in one place, and Israel could have the opportunity then to defeat them all in one fell swoop by God's power. But here they're drawn into that particular battle, which they might not have been really focused on entering into at that particular time, and it relates to their being deceived by the Gibeonites, making that covenant with them. Somebody has said, you know, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Well, I understand the reasoning behind that, but you need to understand the enemy of your enemy is still your enemy in basic identity. All right. Verse 6. The men of Gibeon sent to Joshua at the camp of, at Gilgal, saying, Do not forsake your servants. Come up to us quickly. Save us and help us, for all the kings of the Amorites who dwell in the mountains have gathered together against us. So Joshua ascended to Gilgal, or from Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him and all the mighty men of valor. And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear them, for I have delivered them into your hand. Not a man of them shall stand before you. Now, God says, okay, you're going to go into battle. Now, again, from one perspective, this could have resulted in one major battle doing away with all of these separate armies from these separate city-states under all these separate kings kind of in one fell swoop. But God was going to give them the victory. Now, this probably, if, if it had not been for this situation, Joshua and his army probably would not have had to face all of these kings all at one time. But again, God steps in, and he's going to give them the victory. So verse 9, Joshua therefore came upon them suddenly, having marched all night from Gilgal. So the Lord routed them before Israel, killed them with a great slaughter at Gibeon, chased them along the road that goes to Beth, uh, to Beth Horan, and struck them down as far as Azekah and Makeda. And it happened as they fled before Israel and were on the descent of Beth Horan that the Lord cast down large hailstones from heaven on them as far as Azekah, and they died. There were more who died from the hailstones than the children of Israel killed with the sword. 
So again, here we see the power of God actually giving Israel the victory. And so here are these peoples. And some people, you know, they would read this perhaps and say, well, that, that sure is, how, how, how could God be so, so mean-spirited? No, he's not being mean-spirited. God is cleansing the land. These people turned away from God and turned by turning away from God and turning to idols, they turned against God. We can think back about how it was in Genesis chapter 6 when almost all of humanity had turned against God, become so wicked that the thoughts and intents of their heart was only evil continually. And so the worship of these idols that these people had become so engulfed in, that was evil. And evil would go along with that. So God gives the army of Israel victory over these armies, but also then God, he accentuates the situation by sending these large hailstorms to fall down upon the, the, the defeated and, and retreating armies, and by that means, he destroyed more than the army of Israel had destroyed. Then Joshua, verse 12, then Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel, and he said in the sight of Israel, sun, stand still over Gibeon, and moon in the valley of Ajalon. So the sun stood still, and the moon stopped till the people had revenge upon all their enemies. Now here again, we see the power of God. He sent the large hailstones to fall down upon the retreating armies of the Amorites. But now Joshua, he calls upon the Lord, help us finish the task. Cause the sun to stand still over Gibeon, the moon in the valley of Ajalon. So the sun stood still and the moon stopped. In other words, time stood still in essence. God could do that. God created time till the people had revenge upon their enemies. Is it not written in the book of Jasher? So the sun stood still in the midst of heaven and did not, it did not hasten to go down for about a whole day. And there has been no day like that before it or after it that the Lord heeded the voice of a man for the Lord fought for Israel. Then Joshua returned and all Israel with him to the camp at Gilgal. But these five kings had fled and hidden themselves in a cave at Makeda. <clears throat> and it was told Joshua, saying, The five kings have, found, have, found, uh, have been found hidden in the cave at Makeda. So Joshua said, Roll large stones against the mouth of the cave and set men by it to guard them. And do not stay there yourselves, but pursue your enemies and attack them, attack their rear guard. Do not allow them to enter their cities, for the Lord your God has delivered them into your hand. And so the battle is still going on. Now it's the Israelite army, by Joshua's lead and also by his instruction, is pursuing the retreating, whatever is left of the retreating armies of the different Amorite kings. And so these five Amorite kings, they have fled. They've seen, you know, we're cooked. So they've fled. Their, their armies have been, are being destroyed, literally. And so they, they hide in a cave, but their hiding place is found out. And so Joshua orders, 
seal off the cave. Seal off the cave. Don't let them out. And again, he says, do not stay there yourselves, but pursue your enemies. Attack their rear guard. Don't let those retreating armies enter back into their cities, he says. Verse 20, then it happened while Joshua and the children of Israel made an end of slaying them with a very great slaughter till they had finished that those who escaped entered fortified cities. And all the people returned to the camp to Joshua at Makeda in peace. No one moved his tongue against any of the children of Israel. Then Joshua said, open the mouth of the cave and bring out those five kings to me from the cave. So the armies are they're the, the armies of those five kings, they, they fled, they're gone. Whatever is left of them, and it probably wouldn't be that much. They've entered their fortified cities. The king, the kings, <laughs> they're by themselves, basically. So, and they did so and brought out those five kings to him from the cave, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, and the king of Eglon. So it was when they brought out those kings to Joshua, that Joshua called for all the men of Israel and said to the captains of the men of war who went up with him, come near, put your feet on the necks of these kings. And they drew near and put their feet on their necks. Then Joshua said to them, do not be afraid nor be dismayed. Be strong and of good courage for thus the Lord will do to all your enemies against whom you fight. And afterward, Joshua struck them and killed them and hanged them on five trees, and they were hanging on the trees until evening. So it was at the end of the, com- of, the, of the going down of the sun that Joshua commanded, and they took them down from the trees, cast them into the cave where they had been hidden, and laid large stones against the cave's mouth, which remain until this very day. So the kings, the kings were defeated and destroyed along with their armies. We're going to stop here and pick up with verse, with verse uh, 28, because now we're talking about a different battle. So let's pray. Father in heaven, please take care of us and guide us in your will. We pray, and praise and glory and honor be to you, and your might is obvious. Please forgive us, gracious Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <laughs> 